California. Hey, this is Mandy. And Echo. And Greg. From Cheek Face. And you're listening to KPCA. Do you need help with home repairs? Rebuilding Together Petaluma believes that everyone deserves to live in a safe and healthy home. Low-income senior homeowners are eligible for free home repairs, including roof replacement, plumbing, electrical, and much more. And it's easy to apply. Just call 707-765-3944 to speak with us about your situation and request an application. My bucket is back in the shower, and I'm starting mm-hmm. to fill my bucket um, yep. to water outside. And so I encourage other people to start doing the same thing because I've really gotten lax on the water savings. Yeah. So, and even if it had been raining, I was filling my uh, bathtub. Uh, I have a, one bathroom that I don't use the bathtub in. I was putting reserves in there. Really? Yeah. No, I wasn't going that far. I got rid of my bathtub, that's why. So I do buckets. But I just want to encourage people, we're still in a drought, and your yard is going to need watering, and be selective of what you're watering, but save your water from your showers, sinks, and everything else. That's my public message for the day. Announcement. And get biodegradable uh, dish soap so that you can put the soapy water in there. That's true, too. Yeah. I haven't gotten that far, but thank you. I'll uh, look into that. Okay. Yeah. So today's going to be a great... uh, great show. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and we're going to get right to getting on because uh, our our guest will need to leave by 1045. So with that, I will introduce. This morning we have Kevin Burke, who is candidate for Sonoma County Sheriff. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. How are you doing, Cindy? How are you doing, Janet? Great. Great. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You're right about the weather. It does feel like summer is early, and, and I'm going back to shorter showers uh, also just because it seems like we're going to be back having that discussion about water conservation again um, here before you know it unless we get some – well, you know, in Northern California, you can get a lot of rain in March and April, right. too. So, That's right. Uh, we, we we're all hopeful for that. I think. Yep. It, it affects all of us. Yep. Navy showers. Yeah. Uh huh. Navy showers. Anyway, um, Kevin, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the actual campaign? Okay. Thanks. So uh, my name is Kevin Burke. Uh, born and raised in Saint Helena, uh, Napa County, over the hill. Uh, Grew up in that small town, a uh, great place to grow up as a kid. I was raised by my dad, who was a fifth grade teacher as a career, and was raising uh, three kids on his own, and that was a challenge for him, and he did uh, an extraordinary job. I graduated St. Helena High School in the 80s, and uh, decided I wanted to go experience the big city, so I moved to L.A., and that's where I kind of had taken two different paths. I was getting my college degree on the one hand, and on the other hand, I was very interested in law enforcement because I had been a police explorer scout in St. Helena, so I guess technically my 
law enforcement career started at 14 when I was riding around and got to know those small town officers and they invited me to join that program and I got kind of hooked on what it is that a, a, a police officer does every day and found it to be just pretty extraordinary. So ended up joining the LAPD as a reserve officer uh, while also pursuing my college degree. So I kind of had these two paths going at the same time. After college, I went into law school and ended up um, really proud of graduating at uh, UC Berkeley Bolt Hall Law School in 1991. I passed the bar exam, went ahead and um, started practicing law, private practice for two years, and then became a deputy district attorney for three. All the while I was doing my uh, volunteer work uh, with the police department, transitioned into teaching at the academy uh, pretty quickly with my law degree. So while I was a deputy district attorney, I was teaching classes at the police academy to recruits on law. So after three years as a deputy DA, and I loved being a deputy DA, it was a great contribution, being in front of a jury, being in front of a judge, uh, seeing our system up close that way and making a difference. I decided I wanted to just follow my heart and took my dad's advice to go pursue whatever you were passionate about, whether it makes money or not. And so I was thrilled, actually, to stop being a lawyer and uh, joined the police department full-time. And that was in 96. Worked a number of assignments there, promoted to sergeant uh, pretty quickly in 2000. Uh, they assigned me to employee relations. They tend to put you in assignments that paired with your lottery when they find out you have one, whether you like it or not. Um, ended up working employee relations group. Uh, doing investigation of employee grievances, supervised an undercover vice unit for a couple of years, and then spent my last two years with the LAPD as a uh, sergeant evaluating internal affairs cases and what they call an uh, internal affairs advocate presenting uh, the disciplinary cases before a tribunal. Um, and that was a real, just an eye-opener for me to see that side of things. Um, and see what kind of things. A large organization with 10,000 officers. You had some misconduct cases um, that were pretty serious and saw firsthand how a small number of bad apples can really hurt the reputation mm -hmm. of an organization. And so I don't think you ever enjoy that work, and I didn't enjoy it, but I recognized how important it was, and I learned a lot from that. From there, I decided I wanted to come back up to Northern California, and I wanted to be a police chief in a small town like the one I had grown up in. So I applied to be police chief in Lake Fort, a town of about uh, 6,000. was selected for that position and had a great time uh, getting my feet wet. Went back to school at that time, got my master's degree from Johns Hopkins University from the Police Executive Leadership Program. I had to fly to Baltimore every couple weeks for a few years because distance learning was not a thing. Back then, distance learning was distance, getting on a plane. So I did that, got my master's degree, and um, enjoyed working in Lakeport, both as police chief and as city manager. Uh, one day I was running the police department. The next day I was running the whole city for a couple of years as they had an unexpected departure of the city manager and felt that I was the best one to step in and do that. So um, it was a real learning experience and taught me how management is all about that higher level and looking at things from 50,000 feet and managing things that you may not even understand completely but have good people that can advise you about 
asking the right questions and choosing the right path. So uh, at, at some point, I saw the opportunity in Healdsburg. Uh, I was thrilled to be selected as the police chief in Healdsburg, a job that I held for 10 and a half years. Uh, proud of the work we did there. Um, had a uh, great relationship with the community, did some additional engagement and outreach in particular to uh, the Latinx community, uh, but really we had strong ties with the entire community, but at some point we partnered with Corazon, which was our uh, nonprofit in Healdsburg, uh, formed to try and improve ties between the city and the Latinx community, which in a lot of ways was less engaged than the remainder of the community with our city. So we did Spanish-speaking town halls, a, a big outreach event called the Flatpica Latina, uh, which was uh, very successful, and um, tried some new things there. A social worker program, first in the county to propose and get that approved and off and running, so that we had social workers, licensed clinician inside the police department, working with our staff to respond to issues around mental health, uh, the unhoused, uh, addiction, recognizing that the best response isn't always a police officer with a gun. So, got us through the wildfires and floods. That was a particularly challenging time. We had to evacuate our whole city once. And then being the person that had to make the decision about whether we evacuated it a second time during the wall bridge, and uh, it was, we had learned a lot from Kincaid, and we made the decision not to evacuate in that situation. But just great learning experience, as much as those things try you, they teach you a lot about preparedness, and uh, I went on to get my emergency management specialist certificate from the state, something that uh, very few people at my level have. It requires a lot of work, a lot of coursework, a lot of classes, um, but I think that that's relevant for the entire county at this point. It's not a question of when, or rather if, but when we face the next large-scale uh, emergency. That's kind of a snapshot, probably, hopefully not too much, uh, but a little long-winded as the lawyer in me comes out every now and then, and I'll just uh, go on talking. Well, that was a great snapshot. <laughs> I mean, I've heard you speak before, and I have learned a lot more about you just by what you just stated. Um, you know, your, um, your education, you just, you continued your education to better yourself in your positions. And that is so impressive to me. You know, i rather have somebody uh, be proactive and see where they want to go in the future and what they realize what classes are going to take them um, to a higher level um, than being asked to take those classes. You know, sometimes people say, why don't you do this because we think you'd be good at something. You have just taken that on and I'm impressed, but have you ever been to the police ac the academy in Virginia? Oh, the Quantico. The Quantico. Uh, yes. So, um, it's really common for executive level or even mid-management to attend what's called the National Academy at the FBI Academy. Yes. Um, so I went promoted rather quickly, so I didn't have the opportunity to do that. And as a police chief, there's really kind of a second program that we do here in California called Post-Command College. Uh, which is sort of like what they do in Quantico, but kind of on steroids. And it's a really intensive year-and-a-half-long program. And it's one that you can actually do while being more present in, in your, at your work. You have to go to classes for a week periodically. But the FBI Academy is 10 weeks uh, away from your position. So I really, as a police chief, wasn't comfortable um, doing that. So I went to command college instead, 
and graduated from post-command college while I was police chief in Hillsborough. And uh, as part of command college, you write a lengthy research article and try and get it published. And I was able to get that published in Law and Order magazine and basically an article uh, advocating teaching our law enforcement kind of alternative stress management and wellness techniques, in particular meditation. Uh, I advocated teaching meditation to all law enforcement personnel, officers, dispatchers, as a way of reducing stress, helping them make better decisions, and improving their lives. Um, because meditation is, is, there's a lot of science that supports what meditation can do to balance uh, out a human being and help them manage stress, make better decisions, both in their work life and in their, their personal life as well. So, yeah, I, you know, touching on what you said, uh, Janice, I, I believe in continuous improvement. Uh, for whether you're a police chief, sheriff, officer, deputy, uh, organizationally, I think that's the goal, is to always be willing to critically self-evaluate and look for ways that you can improve. You know, at the end of the day, a sheriff or a police chief is about people, and that's, that's my philosophy. I'm about people and about what we can do as an organization to serve the community, all aspects of the community, but also help the people that do the work have the tools and resources they need to do uh, and so that they can be equally proud of outcomes as well. So I really appreciate what you're saying because police officers do have a very stressful life, even though there's, you know, tension between the public and police officers. But we have to recognize you have a very stressful life and what you have just described um, really can make a person not um, a better person, but there's also suicide involved, you know, when you're in high-stress jobs. And what you've described to bring into an organization really helps the mental health within your organization. And with that, you know, there is a lot of controversy with our sheriff's department. It has for a long, there's been for a long time. How, as an outsider, will you go into this organization and make change, necessary change, and bring in a lot of what you have just talked about um, into that organization to make it a healthier organization, um, cooperation between, um, within the organization? How are you going to uplift that organization? Yeah, that's a great question. And you touched upon uh, the, the challenges of doing the work and the stress between, at times, the community and the organization and the people that do the work. And I'll say, I've always known, and we, we all know that the, a lot of people support. People want to be safe. And mm -hmm. They support their law enforcement. They support ethical and good law enforcement. And in my opinion and experience, people inside the organization support good and ethical law enforcement as well. Uh, you know, there's always exceptions to that, which are highly publicized and, and, and we've seen. But I can tell you, my approach to doing exactly what you're saying is that I've had to do it uh, really on three occasions. Um, both positions where I was police chief, I was the outsider. And there was an inside candidate, like there is with the sheriff's race. And that person had a significant amount of support from within the organization as the current person does here as well. But what I found is people, when they have a leader coming from the outside, is there anxiety? Yes. 
But at the end of the day, they want to be engaged, they want to be seen, and they want to be heard. And so when you go in from the outside, the first thing you've got to do is, is demonstrate that you are qualified to do the work and worthy of that respect and have conversations with a huge range of people within the organization. And that's the, the, the first order of business is to build relationships from within, identify like-minded people who also recognize that the organization does need to change. And I've talked to people inside the sheriff's office at all different levels that have either reached out or that I already knew and are comfortable talking to me um, because they know I'm not going to reveal that confidence. And what I hear overwhelmingly is that that department is ready for change. They're ready for the type of leader who will come in and create a strong relationship with the community because they want to have one with the entire community. Nobody wants to work for an, uh, an organization that is the subject of controversy or where there are negative comments. And I firmly believe there are some great men and women working at the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office. What they need is uh, an experienced leader to come in and be willing to evolve the department and look at new ways of doing business. And that's all I know. Again, coming into two organizations as an outside police chief where there was an inside candidate that probably everyone would have been more comfortable with because it's familiar and known to them. And I was able to come in, build the relationships that I wanted to build and needed to build, identify people who shared my vision for moving the needle and change, and get them with comfort that I'm not here to burn down the house. I'm here to make this take a good organization and make it great because we can all improve. I do hold myself to that standard, and I, I firmly believe that. So uh, the third time I had to do that was when I was suddenly a city manager uh, and supervising department heads who managed community development, water, sewer, all of the different things that you don't learn about as a police chief and you're suddenly a, a city manager looking at that from the higher level and responsible for it. So I had to go in and build that credibility there. And so I think it's uh, a lot of work, but I have the experience of doing that. And people who are around me will see in a short period of time that my heart is in the right place. Again, my philosophy is about relationships and people, inside and outside. I think any organization, including that organization, the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office, can improve the way that it manages and supports the people inside the organization and the way it does outreach and builds relationships and, importantly, trust with the people outside the organization. You know, as I'm listening to you speak, I think of your father and how proud he must be of you. <laughs> uh, you know, with, uh, you know, on paper, you're amazing, but when you're speaking, you just speak from the heart. And it really, he must be an amazing uh, role model. And I thank you for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> he was a, he's a, was a great man, and he uh, ran for school board himself after retiring. So in many ways, uh, they say you end up like your parents as you get older, and you know maybe that's maybe that's indeed the case. Well, I'm certainly a combination of both my mother and my father, and uh, so I understand that. I just want to know: Are, are you retired right now? Technically, yeah. Yeah. I'll, okay. I, although I will tell you, running for office is. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 So. 
Yeah, both Janice and I can relate to that. Yeah, right, exactly. We held full-time jobs when we were running, though. Well, and exactly, and it was probably 40 hours a week on top of, you know, working. And it was was a lot of work, and I'd stayed, you know, we both stayed engaged, but I'm still on, like, a general plan committee and all kinds of um, different committees. You know, it's almost like an addiction, but you really love, you do it because you love it. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's, it's a calling for sure once, yeah. once you get engaged and that's what excites me about this yeah. opportunity I spent my career you know, working every day to try and make people's lives better whether they're the community um, or the, the folks doing the work it's, it's, it's my passion yeah. um, can you talk about um, Iolero but also what is I know that there's a legal process going on right now with that. And if you can just explain that a little bit, um, why it's being held up or is it being held up? And we need more information on Iolero and um, your support for Iolero. First, first though, for the listeners, we should define what Uh, Iolero is. That's true. Yeah. Independent Office of Law Enforcement Review and Outreach. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And so Iolero was created by the Board of Supervisors. All right, and so that's the organizational structure for oversight in Sonoma County. Then you have Measure P, which was subsequently passed, that just gave some additional powers and strength to the monitor and to uh, Iolero. So both of the, that's the difference between the two. Um, What's going on with Measure P right now, which was um, uh, approved by a, two-thirds, roughly, of the voters that voted in uh, the electorate in that particular uh, election. And right now, the, the status of that is the county uh, board of supervisors has appealed a determination by uh, PERB, which is sort of the labor body that uh, regulates and decides on uh, public employee relations board on issues around labor. So the the uh, what was brought up was, and, and successfully argued before that body, was that the, there were certain components of Measure P that affected the collective collective bargaining rights of members of the associations there at the sheriff's office. And so while that's being appealed, the meet and confer process is actually going on as we, as we speak. So I think it's important to recognize that that does have to play out for any sheriff to know exactly to what extent they can move forward with measure the pieces of measure P. For my perspective, the, the next sheriff needs to have an attitude that is completely accepting of the notion of Iolero and measure P. And I'll tell you why I think that's important. The Iolero was created by the board. Supervisors are duly elected by the people of Sonoma County. Measure P was approved by the voters of Sonoma County. So I think the sheriff, also elected by the voters of Sonoma County, has an obligation, number one, to embrace that and develop a good relationship with Iolero, the auditor, the CAC, and make oversight and, and transparency and accountability work. And if you talk to people inside the sheriff's office, they acknowledge that some version of oversight, accountability, and transparency is here to stay. It's the world that we live in. And I don't think you can find anyone in law enforcement today who would argue otherwise. 
So the other cities in Sonoma County are implementing their own versions of that within their jurisdictions, and I think that's great to see that. Everyone recognizes the need for it, and the, that version for the County of Sonoma and the Sheriff's Office is Iolero and Measure P. Now, I will say, I think it's really, really important to allow that meet and confer process and those collective bargaining pieces to go forward and see what the outcome there is. Um, and, I, and that's what's happening now. But the next sheriff needs to sort of seize the opportunity and recognize, as I do, that if you spend a lot of time resisting oversight, transparency, it can create, it backfire and create the impression that your organization has something to hide. So my philosophy is come into that office, immediately restore a strong relationship with Iolero, with the independent auditor, uh, be ready to work with Measure P to whatever extent you legally can, and and, and you're, you're, you're off and running. And everybody recognizes it's here to stay, and I think the next sheriff has an opportunity to demonstrate we have nothing to hide at the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office. I, I appreciate the explanation because the legal component, you know, is just like an added layer that the public really... Yeah. may not understand, and so I think it's really important to separate that out, but knowing that Iolero will continue moving forward, and that will be kind of the, the law of the land to say, but we need to get this determination. Great, great point. The Measure P yeah. part is the part you've just got to wait to see which uh, of the contested parts remain, and, and if yeah. any responsible elected official uh, is, is going to wait for that process to work its way out and then know exactly where they stand with what they can implement. Well, I, I think um, the candidate for district attorney, Carla Rodriguez, um, you know, she was kind of asked that question, and I really appreciated that she actually sent me the documentation so I could read to really understand that. And I appreciate that you've actually expounded on that because it's, it's important and the public needs to understand, you know, there's a legal component of it also, and it just needs to play out. Um, there's, um, I just want to quickly talk about um, the blue line flags. Um, you know, I, I, when I started seeing the blue line flags, of course, I went and I did some research to find out how they started, but how it started and what it seems to be used now are two different things. Right, so to be clear about how it started, it was completely well intended, and like with a lot of organizations uh, and and. Uh, vocations, it was a source of, of pride and a recognition of the sacrifice that law enforcement officers make. And I mean, my first earliest uh, memory of it was uh, in D.C. for National Law Enforcement Memorial Week, and they had this blue light that went through a candlelight vigil, uh, again, commemorating and, and noting the addition of all the officers who had died the previous year being added to the National Law Enforcement Memorial Wall, a very somber, reflective event. The families of, of those officers are, are present. Um, and, you know, you get a diverse, a sense for the diversity of people that, that do the work because you look at the families of those impacted and it's, it's just a, a collage of who we are as a society. And so it was, it's well intended. And I think for most current people serving in law enforcement, it is still well-intended, and it still represents that. The issue with the blue line flag is that over time, 
uh, it has come to symbolize something that, it, that wasn't intended and has become to be divisive. Um, and so, you know, I'm never one to automatically say throw the baby out with the bathwater, but the fact is that the blue line flag, because of how it has been used differently, um, I think it's not something you can put on a uniform or put on a vehicle, uh, a police vehicle or a, a government vehicle or have inside the law enforcement workplace, which is unfortunate for those who want to use it as well intended, but sometimes as a profession, we have to be able to pivot and, you know, go with what's for the better of everyone. So even though that use of the flag maybe has only been a small piece of what was intended and certainly not how it started, um, I think as a profession, we have to acknowledge that the, the best practice now is is to, is to not have it in the workplace. Well, you know, so. it's interesting. There's a home I drive by, and it's in the rural area. And, you know, and they have this big flagpole, and it's only the blue line flag. And to me, it's like it's almost been taken over as the American flag is not as important as this flag is is the importance. And so I appreciate, you know, your comments on it, but it, it, people do see that, and we're quite aware that uh, we're quite aware of it. That's I, it. I definitely, yeah. you know, want to always give it the right interpretation. Yeah. Having shared the experience that I shared with you of my initial experience with it and what it was originally intended to be. Um, yeah. So that's that's my orientation, but I recognize as a leader in, in, in law enforcement, we have to look at the bigger picture sometimes. Right. And you you know can't be seen in a way that would be divisive or embracing something that we don't intend to embrace. So well, it, it, it's almost intimidating, if you want to know the truth. There's an intimidation factor because there was an incident in Petaluma and it happened right in front of St. Vincent's um, church. And you had all of these, uh, you know, actually a lot of police officers there, you know, with the blue um, line flag and Trump flags and it was a Black Lives Matter rally. So it was so it, it, it's a concern, but as far as racial disparities, you know, and within the organization, how will you deal? Um, will you bring bias training, or is there bias training going on now? You know, there's no doubt that when you see a black person in a car versus a white person, they obvious they get pulled over a lot more often than you know someone of my skin color. And so, as an organization, how will you deal with um, equity, equality, and justice for people so of color? Look at, great question. So, there's several fronts with what you're talking about on the stops and, and, and those sorts of things. Uh, law enforcement organizations are now legally required to collect that data and break it down by ethnicity, race, gender, perceived sexual orientation and publish that information. Uh, we actually started doing that at my direction in Healdsburg a year and a half before legally required uh, because we felt that was a good way to improve trust in our community. Mm -hmm. And you know, we found that the stock statistics in our community matched the demographics of the community. 
which was a great thing to see in, in the city where you're, where you're police chief. And so that is a huge piece of that. That is a built-in legal transparency requirement uh, that all agencies are going to be having to disclose here at, at this particular point. So I would want to see that data, what those results are as it relates to sheriff's office, compare that to the demographics. But I think it's important to have tough conversations inside the workplace, too, that address implicit bias, because the whole notion behind implicit bias is that human beings may have those biases and not realize that they have them. And I think there are some great training courses that can help the individual uh, recognize or identify what implicit biases they might have. And, you know, an, um, anti-bias training is required in law enforcement uh, circles today. So my feeling is it could be done in a different way that not only increases the number of hours, but again, you have these uncomfortable conversations that the sheriff should be down there in that training themselves participating and having those, those tough conversations. I also think you should bring into that conversation inside the sheriff's office people from communities who have been uh, impacted so that they can tell their story and deputies, correctional officers, whoever the case might be, can just hear that perspective. I just don't think any harm can come from having a open dialogue with between community members and the people that do the work um, in order to strengthen trust and hear different perspectives. So I think it, it works both ways. It's important for the people that come in to hear what it's like to be the deputy or the correctional officer or the dispatcher. And then it's just equally important to hear the perspective of impacted communities. I mean, there is a reason why we're collecting this data at this point in our history in, in, in law enforcement. Well, that's why I brought up the mental health with police officers, because mm -hmm. it's it, there's a mental health you know component, and there's also the component of having to um, mental health within the community. But it, it's it's just. Um, I don't know how to say this. Um, I guess with this type of training, you can't just do it once a year. It has to be actually incorporated within an organization. Um, yeah, the conversation should be ongoing. And I think it's important to recognize that the sheriff's office should really strive to increase participation at all different ranks from the diversity of the Sonoma County community as well. And I think that can be achieved by having programs that really go into, start at the school level, uh, identifying people who could potentially be interested in a career in law enforcement at a young age, and be willing to mentor them along, send them to the police academy. The sheriff's office hires a lot of lateral employees, and I, that's a, a great way to hire. Um, it is. I've done it as a police chief. But I think it has to be balanced with a separate program that separately evaluates candidates who have no law enforcement experience, sort of in their own pool, for their ability to be good entry-level uh, deputies, correctional officers, dispatchers, you name it. So you're, you're taking somebody who may have no law enforcement experience at all and, and hiring them in, training them up. And it really builds a strong sense of loyalty when you do that. Some of the best hiring decisions I've ever made uh, involve people who we picked up right out of the academy or we sent through that academy, and you have to wait a little bit, little bit longer to get them. Um, but they have 
loyalty to the organization. They're, they take a lot of pride because they know that this is the department that invested in them. Um, and in my experience, that naturally leads to uh, diversification in, in the workforce, too. Everybody wants people who are competent at the work. Public safety is an enormous responsibility. And fundamentally, the sheriff has to ensure that everybody who walks in that door is competent to do the work. Competence is broadly defined because it's not just can they do the work, they've got to be culturally competent, um, you know, have, have a sense, uh, emotional intelligence as well. Um, but I think you could just naturally diversify uh, the workforce there with very competent people uh, simply by having that sort of soup to nuts approach and, and taking people and who have no experience and turning them into loyal uh, employees and, and sharing with them how great a law enforcement career is, no matter who you are. And I think that's all anybody wants inside the sheriff's office to do, is to work with people who they know uh, are competent to do the work, and I don't think they care uh, what that person's background is and would embrace uh, some diversity in the organization. Um, I want to let folks know that you're listening to Inside Petaluma here on KPCA 103.3 FM in Petaluma. And uh, we are speaking today with Kevin Burke, who's the candidate for Sonoma County Sheriff in the upcoming primary elections, which are, I believe, is June 7th. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, good. Um, I wanted to uh, touch back on uh, your career as a lawyer. What field of law did you practice, and how do you feel that's going to benefit your position as sheriff? Great. So I practiced uh, in uh, as a DA for three years, but prior to that, I was in private practice for a couple years, and it was uh, civil litigation. Okay. So essentially, um, in some cases. Uh, as a plaintiff's attorney, filing lawsuits against individuals or entities, and uh, part of the practice was also defending against civil lawsuits as well. And, you know, I will tell you, being an attorney certainly gives you a unique perspective into law enforcement and, and, and what we do. So I kind of have an interesting blend of having worked as a civil litigator for, for a couple years, and then also as a prosecutor for three years, a blend of, of criminal and civil and both have served me well in, in law enforcement. So I tend to look at everything through those dual lenses. So if I go into an organization and I'm lucky enough to be the next Sonoma County Sheriff, that's going to be my mindset uh, or my, my paradigm as I look, uh, as it always has been. So, yeah, it's been a plus for me to have that uh, extra education and experience. I'd like to know more about or segue into dogs and dog training because there was an incident in Grayton a few years ago where one of the sheriffs um, let their dog um, basically maul somebody's calf. And I watched the video a few times and it was a very hard video to watch. And it felt like he did not have control over the animal. And I'm not really even sure why the animal was, you know, was used. Um, and I'd like to know about that program and also segue into, you know, Officer Blout and David Ward and, you know, Officer Blout um, was exonerated um, through the law and and just that particular case, if you want to talk about that and its connection with the DAs and, you know, as a 
as a, our next sheriff, what, um, how would you have handled it? All right. So, uh, as it relates to the canine program, the canine program, having been around it my entire law enforcement career, is it's an important resource for law enforcement and the community. Um, it relies on constant training. And one of the things I've learned is that the deputies, officers who are canine handlers, they train constantly. And one of the things they train with the dog is the ability to recall that dog when necessary. It's pretty extraordinary, extraordinary uh, to watch that, that training and how disciplined the dogs are. But it is not a, a perfect science. And so uh, my goal as sheriff is to take a critical look at that training and ensure that best practices are being implemented for canine training so that something like that, now it's, it can be, the risk of something like that can be minimized because that just this sounds uh, pretty horrific. So it, it needs to be looked at, but um, that program is important. The canine uh, resources have saved lives and uh, are important part of protecting the public and at times uh, uh, the deputies as well. So, um, but it has to be managed and it has to be managed appropriately. So, um, both in the selection of the people who do that coveted, considered coveted work, and in the training of, of the dogs to ensure that the dog themselves is uh, fit for the work. Right. I have no doubt that the officer loves their dog, just like I love my Coco. <laughs> so I don't think, um, you know, I don't even question that, but I do question um, the training and management of a dog um, in certain situations. And of course, you only hear about, um, you know, many times they're used and nothing happens. But that was a significant incident. And I would like just your, um, you know, with the um, David Ward case and Officer Blout, I don't know anyone in law enforcement that I've talked to, inside or outside the sheriff's office, who watches that video and thinks that that was a proper practice. And I've talked to people, again, at all levels of law enforcement from top to bottom, and within the sheriff's office who have been kind enough to, to talk to me, and it's one of the things we talk about. So there seems to be broad consensus in law enforcement uh, that that video really should depict something that was outside the bounds of normal and appropriate practices, and somebody died as a result, so it, it, it's pretty serious. As far as the uh, criminal case, I support the decision based on that to prosecute, which the DA's office did, uh, particularly when you look at some of the evidence, including testimony. You have testimony from the sheriff's office that it was not in keeping with their training or practices. So the trial needed to occur. Having said that, uh, having been a, a district attorney, I recognize that you don't always get the outcome that you want from a jury. And one of the things I did not do, of course, is sit in the courtroom and hear every detail that that jury heard. So I am, I don't know what was in their minds. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever understand that. Um, and from you know my perspective, I was very, very surprised at, at that outcome uh, as a lawyer and as a police chief, as was, again, everyone I've talked to yeah. in law enforcement uh, was surprised by that outcome. Yeah. Appreciate that um, very much. 
So I want to respect your time and your commitment that's coming up. You, you want five more minutes? Okay, great. great. Um, yeah, you can have all the time you want. I just wanted, I just wanted to go by the rules. <laughs> no, I appreciate you being willing to hear that. I'm looking at the clock, thinking, you know, I can jump in the car and go to my next meeting, which is here in town, in about ten minutes. Well, just so don't okay. speed because you could get a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> That would be fun. Um, yeah, so, okay, so with the, the last five minutes that you want here, why don't you just spill whatever it is you want to say? Okay, so, you know, my view of uh, the future of the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office is one, there, there, there's two types of uh, law enforcement organizations in my experience, and some kind of in between. There, there are those that are kind of static uh, and wait for ideas from other organizations or places to, to come in. And there are those that I call learning organizations that really constantly are evaluating, looking for new best practices, studying what other organizations are doing uh, with other sheriff's offices that relates to the patrol function, the jail function, uh, all of it. And my vision is to create uh, a strong learning organization where everyone is constantly striving for continuous improvement and looking for ways to better the department. And part of that's going to de determine on exactly what state that I find uh, getting into that position, right, and looking at what amount of resources are we devoting to scour the profession and look at what other uh, organizations are doing. Um, I think there's some great opportunities to do additional outreach in the community to build trust. One of the things I'm very interested in doing is starting a, a, a sheriff's advisory uh, panel, community, uh, community panel, council, whatever you might want to call it, that would be a direct eyes and ears in relationship with a very diverse uh, Sonoma County community. And just do a broad outreach. And, and again, relationship building is really important to me. And it has started with this campaign and some of the relationships I'm building now. And I think that there's an opportunity for the sheriff's office to really strengthen some of those community ties and build additional trust. And um, so I, I'm excited at the opportunity to be able to go in there and, and do that. I think uh, it's amazing that we live in a world where I can do this and, and run for sheriff and talk about my qualifications and my, my vision. And um, I just want to make a difference. That's the bottom line, and I, I know in my heart that I can do that. Well, to me, this is, there are two very important races, and yours is one of the top. And I think the changes that will be made um, from listening to you, and if you are elected, will really be the catalyst to make change in our sheriff's department, which really has so many negatives right now. And, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to, you know, work together, you know, with my community, you know, Petaluma with the sheriff, the entire county working as a group, because at this point it's, it's so adversarial, and it's mm -hmm. uh, really a pleasure to listen to. You're, you're very positive, you have solutions, but you also have the life experience um, in many different um, aspects um, to bring, um, to bring, the sheriff's department to where the public really wants it to be as part of our community, not separate from our community. And it's I true. And it, it's true. And at the end of the day, everybody wants a sheriff's office that is effective and and works to keep them safe. People want to be safe. 
And the sheriff's office wants to be able to do its work in a way that gives it all the resources and keeps it as safe as possible as well. And I just think you can absolutely have both uh, with the right leadership. And um, at this particular time, I think I'm the best positioned because of my experience of actually leading a law enforcement organization and uh, the variety of life experiences as a lawyer and police officer and sergeant and chief that I have um, gives me a good, broad perspective to go into that department and leave it better than I find it. And that's the most, the goal that, that I have most succinctly stated. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Kevin Burke, for being here today. And do you want to end by giving maybe your uh, website, uh, any other information you want to folks out there to help for people to get yeah. involved in your campaign. Yeah. Thank you, Cindy. Yes, that's great. So our website is burkeforsheriff.com, B-U-R-K-E, for, F-O-R, sheriff.com. And uh, the website is a work in progress. It's still being built out. We're going to be adding some important information specifically about the, the platform and um, 11 key points of, of, uh, to give you a sense of who I am and what I want to do at the sheriff's office. Um, have some great support and endorsement so far, and uh, always looking for more. But I really appreciate the opportunity to come in and, and be with you guys today and, and have an opportunity to talk about it with a greater audience. Yeah. Um, I really, really appreciate that, because at the end of the day, it's really hard. Campaigning countywide, and um, you know, traditionally, the, the sheriff is often uh, from within inside the organization, and that's a, sort of a, a cultural, historical piece. And I think that, um, you know, with the right candidate, that, you know, that, that can be a good thing. But I think at this point, some of you guys experience leading and is very comfortable with change and committed to meeting the expectations of the Sonoma County community. All of it are, are really important. Great. And I'm not going to say, I, I know things I've all said from the beginning, and I'll say it now. I'm not going to say anything negative about any candidate in this race. Um, that can be tempting, and I, and I hear things behind the scenes uh, that other candidates have said, and, you know, I'm, I'm taking the high road. I want to talk about my qualifications and what I bring to the table, and uh, I'm committed to not having a negative uh, campaign and trying to, because every one of the other candidates has served in law enforcement and is worthy uh, and has at some point had their life on the line for their community and is worthy of uh, a measure of respect for that reason. Great. Thank well, you. Again, thank you for being here. And uh, uh, after the elections, we hope to have you back so we can wrap up what the whole, what the whole thing ended up being. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Okay. Thanks. Thank you both. All Take right. care. Take care. Okay. Wow, so, that was a great interview. Yeah, was a, I'm, um, I'm impressed. Um, like I said, I've heard him speak before, but this is a lot more information yeah. than yeah. I, yeah. I had um, available to me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, now oh, we can hear you. Now we can talk. Yeah. yeah. My, my, my microphone is right in front of go. the like, camera, so yeah, <laughs> I feel like go. I'm in a cage. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so what's going on in town? Um, well, uh, there is a lot of things going on in town. Yeah. Um, I was, was asked to make 
Uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, the Rotary Club of Petaluma is having their annual crab feed, oh. as they have for many years. And uh, for the second year in a row, it's going to be a drive. Okay, uh, drive So you through. have to yeah. it's a drive through. You, you're okay. Gonna, you're going to make your reservation online and pick it up. And I was just going to go see... You'd think that I would know the the website. I would um, think so. Yeah. Well, also the Democratic, um, the sub, the big Democratic Club for Sonoma County is having their crab feed, and it's going to be on the twenty third. I mean, if people mm-hmm. want tickets, get online. Yeah, you know, we can't advertise that because that's political. Oh well, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> you didn't hear that. <laughs> Sorry, Cindy. The Rotary Club, however, is a nonprofit. Um, so, um, and they do a lot of good things here they in are. town. Uh, Rotary Club of Petaluma is at PetalumaRotary.org. So, and how much are tickets? And how? Tickets are $75. Okay. Get a, a pound and a half of crab oh, and wow. a salad and... I forget what the other sides are, but um, primarily, you know, it's a, it's a it's a crab meal that yeah. you can pick up and take home. And uh, Rotary does a lot of good things uh, here locally that um, benefit children mostly. Maybe and we should have somebody on from Rotary. That yeah. would be great. Yeah, to learn what they do because I know they've done a lot of park work also. Yeah. You know, park improvements, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, McNear Park always comes to mind. Yeah, well, I'll check yeah. to see if Rick Gorman, who is the current president, would like to come on and talk. That would be great. He's a good guy. Yeah, I like Everybody that. should know Rick. He's uh, the VP down there at the Petaluma branch of Exchange Bank. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. And then there's another benefit for the Petaluma schools, which is uh, Mardi Gras at the block. Oh, really? And that is on March 1st. Um... And that I don't I don't know what the tickets are for that. It does benefit the schools and the schools music program. And which organization is putting this on? Is um, it the the um, Petaluma Educational Petaluma Foundation? Fair. The Petaluma the folks that do the um, Petaluma Music Festival. Oh, for the music festival. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, so. because um, you know in the summer because of COVID, you know they put their event together at the fairgrounds and. It was. I don't believe it was as successful because of COVID. Yeah. And so this is a great organization to support. So March first, that's great at the block. And if people don't know where the block is, it is across the street from where's the what's the shopping center there, Cindy? The Golden Eagle Shopping yeah, Center. Yeah, Golden Eagle. Yeah, Golden Eagle. It's right back there. There's plenty of parking. And, and you can bring kids, you can bring your dog with you, so everybody is welcome. Yeah, and I think Rob just sent me, Radio Rob just sent me uh oh, is he mad at me? No, no. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, he's going to put you in broadcast. He's going to put me in broadcast person for the week for saying and something I shouldn't have said. And the PDF won't open, so. Okay. Anyway, well, while you're doing that, I just I'll give um, a little update on the city's um, district election um, process. They had a meeting last Monday, and they've narrowed it down to approximately, I believe, ten maps. 
And with that mapping, the map consulting firm will go ahead and make some changes because then it's all about numbers. And so you want to have, I'm just going to round it up, about 10,000 in each, each district, mm-hmm. 10,000 people. And so you want it to be um, pretty equal. And so that's what they will be doing. But it was actually a pretty good meeting. What you realize is the city council went in there. Nobody had a direction that they were going. And by the last five minutes, it kind of all pulled together. Um, and that was a really healthy process. You know, that it um, everybody had to think. Um, I have to say, Councilmember King asked great questions. Um, Dennis Posake, you know, really asked a great question on and as far as the equity um, aspect of our new general plan, I, I mean new general plan, um, district elections, I know a lot of people are very concerned about district elections. They feel like um, what's, what's, what's going to happen to our community because of it. So I think people should be positive and um, really look at it in a, in a positive manner. And I was talking to one of my neighbors, and he said to me, you represent the entire. You will be representing the entire community, but you will just have somebody representing your district when issues do come up that you can bring forward. But basically, the city council will do exactly what they're doing now. Except, I think the benefit is with each district, they will have one person that they can go to and say that it's the pothole. It's this is the problem in my neighborhood, and those issues can um, move forward with a better understanding. Um, so I think it's actually going to be positive, and I've been talking to you know, new neighbors about it, and it's pretty exciting. But also on the 23rd, um, the, pe- the Bike and Pedestrian Committee will be having a Zoom meeting, and they're talking about Rainier Avenue from McDowell to um, Snowman Mountain Parkway. We're gonna, there's a plan to reduce the lanes. There's a lot of speeding up there. You know, people are doing donuts in the middle yeah. of the night. And um, and I and we want to really connect the east and the, the north and the south um, within that community, which is my community. Yeah. And that will hopefully be phase one. And then phase two, which we have to make sure happens, is you have lit crosswalks for more safety. And then as you see this uh, process and or this project working, you're going to find the people that live on Caulfield in front of Casa Grande School, Eli. Everybody's going to want to have safer streets, and that's really the name of the game. So that's an important meeting. So this, um, I, the 23rd, you can go on the City of Petaluma agenda to get the information. Okay, well, we're out of time. Um, I feel bad because I didn't. I don't feel like I gave good information about those two uh, events. The, the drive-through crab feed for Rotary is on Friday, February 25th. That's next Friday, and it's from 4 to 6 p.m. It's um, $75, and uh, I gave you the website. It's PetalumaRotary.org, and then the uh, the other event. Um, for the Petaluma Schools music program is uh, on March 1st at 5 o'clock at the block in Petaluma. And the music being featured is the Dixie Giants. So, um, yeah, go check that out. 